Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have another very special show. I have invited a gentleman who's gone through a really major, major transformation in his life. And as a result of that, he has come to serve our planet in some very interesting ways, which we'll be taking a look at today. And that gentleman is Hank Rogers. He is the founder of the Blue Planet Foundation. He lives on the beautiful Big Island of Hawaii, and he is making a difference in a world that we here at A Better World spend a lot of time looking at. Needless to say, that's the, the whole thing, whole matter of global warming, carbon reduction, and what in the world we can do to create solutions to this incredibly difficult challenging problem. We've had a number of people on talking about both, you could say, the diagnosis, how serious things are, and we've had a number of people talking about the solutions. Well, today, Hank is part of that world of solutions. We'll be learning a lot about that as we go on. So, Hank Rogers, welcome so much to A Better World. So great to have you. Thank Um, you for having me. Absolutely. You know, we really like, as I said before, to highlight people who are truly committed to a positive outcome and creating a better world, if you will. And we're particularly uh, partial, if you will, to issues having to do with health and well-being and sustainability. And anytime we think about personal health, we're also thinking about planetary. You can't separate them. It's a true holistic, systemic worldview, right? Right. And um, you are one of those who exemplifies this systemic understanding, and you've made certain commitments that I'd love for you to share with our audience, what you're doing with the Blue Planet Foundation, and we'd love to actually hear some of your life story because it's really exemplary for, for our audience. So first of all, if you would tell us a little bit about the Blue Planet Foundation. Uh, Blue Planet Foundation is a foundation originally um, meant to, uh, how can I say, uh, work on my mission. Uh, Mission number one for me is uh, to end the use of carbon-based fuel. And I came to this mission, well, that's a whole whole story that comes comes later. But the foundation primarily um, works in Hawaii. Um, It does public outreach, education. And it does lots of uh, creating new laws and uh, lobbying to get those laws passed. And um, we are environmental in nature for the benefit Uh, of Hawaii. So it used to be like all renewable energy, but now it's renewable energy and renewable energy transportation. So we're we're on ground transportation as well. Beautiful, beautiful. That's awesome. So you're involved in so many different levels from children's education, all the way up to the legislature in Hawaii to make a difference legally, if you will. Yeah, yeah. yeah our biggest claim to fame is that we have a, a mandate of uh, 100% renewable energy by 2045. And in fact, just last week, we got a law passed saying that no more coal will be burned for energy uh, after 2022. So that shuts wow. down the last coal-fired power plant in Hawaii. Right, right exactly. Well, I'll tell you, uh, if 
a better world than I can have any influence on your mission, Hank. It's going to be to bring this uh, transformation of no fossil fuel on the in the state of Hawaii to about 2024. So, <laughs> that would be nice okay. we'll, we'll talk nice. we'll talk right exactly anyway that is a wonderful uh, mission it's realistic it's visionary and you've already begun implementing it so i know you're going to be taking us for a tour around the property for us to see the energy lab etc but as you asked for uh, an introduction to the foundation through your beautiful little niece. So, okay, jump into that. Um, yeah, okay, sounds good. Want to share another thought before we? Well, no, I was just, I was just, it's fine. I was thinking that we were going to talk about the history first. I didn't, uh, well, I got thinking. Well, we can do that. I mean, your personal history and. Yeah, I thought that's where we were going to start. So let's, let's just do get that. that out of the that's way. So. Yeah. It's not only um, to get it out of the way, but I want to really no, okay, emphasize okay, it because it's very important. So um, uh, I was born in the Netherlands, lived there for 11 years, moved to New York City when I was uh, 11 years old, lived in New York for eight years. Um, and since some of your viewers are New York based, uh, yes. I lived in Queens and went to Our Lady of Sorrows for uh, junior high school. And then I went to Stuyvesant High School when it was on 15th Street and 1st. Uh, when I and lived in Manhattan for four years, right so you could say those are my my formative years. Um, we protested against the war in Vietnam, and we were active. We were politically active. Uh, then I moved to Hawaii and went to University of Hawaii. I became a surfer for about a year, and then uh, went to University of Hawaii. And there was no action here at all. <laughs> it was just such a strange thing. Well, anyway, long story in short, for, in New York, you mean? Oh my goodness! Oh, I, you know, the, 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 I lived in a Mormon town, and the the stores closed at eight o'clock, and there was no no liquor or no coffee. It's like from the streets of New York to the sand of Hawaii. It was, it was amazing. That's by the way when I fell in love with the ocean and the coral and everything, and that sure. will come back later. Um, I went to I'm sorry, I went to University of Hawaii. I majored in computer science and minored in Dungeons and Dragons. And That's uh, so you know, funny. what does I, that really mean? It's it means that I quote unquote wasted a lot of time being a geek playing <laughs> uh, board games. Yeah, and uh, so people would say, oh, "Wow, you're wasting so much time playing this, you know, these stupid waste of time games," you know. And uh, well, it turned out to be six years later, personal computers came out in Japan, and I got to write the first role playing game in Japan. So I used my uh, my how could I say my knowledge of role playing and my passion for computing um, to make the game. It was the number game one game in in Japan in 1984, and it launched my company. I had a I had a publishing company all of a sudden. So I wrote two games and then um, started traveling around the world looking for games to bring to Japan because I I was um, I made a decision that uh, programming is like being an athlete. And, I, and my, my years were numbered. Uh, and so I decided to work on the management side of the company. And so mm -hmm. I, I, looked, I looked for games. And uh, one of the games I found was a little game called Tetris. And so I went well after known. that at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, of all places. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, the people that were uh, selling it at that time just didn't know what they had. They just had no idea. They thought it was, it was a small thing and it wasn't going to go anywhere. 
And so I went after the rights and uh, the next year I went to Moscow to get the Game Boy rights. And so I, I guess the biggest deal that I ever did up until then was to license Tetris from the Soviets and license it to Nintendo. Um, And it's at that time that I made friends with the author of Tetris and we became partners. We're still partners today. So we have something called the Tetris company, which we formed in 1996. And if you add up all of uh, Tetris in history, we sold about 80 million copies as box product, which means you go to a store and buy it in a box. And, uh, but the, the, the much bigger business happened after that on mobile phones. So we sold 500 million copies of Tetris as paid downloads. And today we've lost track because people don't pay for downloads anymore. They, they, they get the game for free and they buy items. And so it's a whole different economy and it's hard to track how many, how many downloads we have now. Sure. Just, I mean, just think about it. I think pretty much everybody who has a phone has Tetris on their phone somewhere. Yes. So interesting. So you may, you know how to have an impact. Yeah. Yeah. And so mildly. If, if you want to get to this, to the part about how, why I started uh, blue planet foundation, yeah, yeah. fast you forward. Uh, I'm, I'm, Moved to Hawaii, I started a company to make games for mobile phones myself because I couldn't find a licensee that was going to pay me enough money to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. So I said, I can do this. Uh, you know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Yes. The, the, we, we got a comp- <laughs> It's such a goofy story because uh, when I was trying to license, we, we, I found the, the biggest company in the States and they offered me $25,000, okay, that for the rights to Tetris. That was their, their bid, whatever. And I said, that, that's, you guys have no idea. They're starting and, off. <laughs> uh, three years later, that same company bought, bought my company for over $100 million. And all we had was Tetris for mobile phones. That's, that was it. So they could have, if they'd have. <laughs> so anyway, um, a month it's after. the new mathematics. Uh, there you go. Wow. There you go. So um, a month after um, I sold my company, I was playing tennis and I didn't feel well. They asked me if I wanted to call an ambulance and they, uh, they did. Hmm. So they came and checked me out. They said, there's nothing really wrong. We'll take you in for observation. We're not even going to turn on the siren. Well, guess what happened? Halfway to the hospital, the siren went on. Oh. And I could, the guy who was taking care of the paramedic was in the cockpit. Like, you know, he oh. was giving instructions to the hospital to get ready because, and, and he, two days later, he told me he didn't think I was going to make it. So my heart attack happened in the ambulance. The- I'm looking at the ceiling and going, you've got to be kidding me. I haven't spent any of the money yet. That was a- that was the first thing I thought. And the second time, the second time, I, second thing I thought is, no, I'm not going. I still have stuff to do. And so, I mean, if I have to hold my breath for the next 15, and this is like surfing thinking, because sure. I remember those words saying, you know, when I was drowning once, is it like, no, I'm not going to die today. I still have stuff to do. So anyway, so um, yeah. The I, they rolled me into the operating room from the ambulance. The, cardiologist was there i signed the paper i have two stents oh my god it's so like amazing that that amount of damage was a hundred percent blockage of the Widowmaker. it would have absolutely killed me if i hadn't been within 15 minutes of a hospital and yet they I, I left four days later with two band-aids but anyway this episode this episode 
um, while I was in the recovery room, I'm thinking, what did I mean by stuff? You know, I've already made enough money. My kids are already out of school. What do I, what do I mean by stuff? And so I looked at it from the end of my life. So what's going to happen when I'm like 90 or 100, whatever? I look back on my life. Yes. What's going to upset me if I haven't done anything about it? And that's how I found my missions in life. I have four. My first mission is to end the use of carbon-based fuel because in the back of the newspaper, I read a little article and said, oh, by the way, we're going to kill all the coral in the world by the end of the century. I'm going like, you idiots. Do you have any idea what that means? And it was like the Hawaii newspaper. So you'd think that that would be the most important news in Hawaii ever. Front page. Uh, and it, was a, it was a tiny little article in the back, like, oh, by the way, you know, and, and nobody pay attention to it. And so um, what's causing that? It's, uh, it's carbon dioxide going into the ocean, which is causing ocean acidification. Uh, and then I looked into carbon dioxide and find out, oh, it's doing all this other nasty stuff like climate change and sea level rise. And so, I, so my first mission is to end the use of carbon-based fuel. And to that end, I started a foundation called the Blue Planet Foundation. And um, rather than me explain what the foundation does, I'm gonna have my niece, uh, who's seven years old, seven years old. She practiced all day to get her line straight for, for, for this piece. So roll the video. So adorable. Absolutely. Thank you for all that. Hawaii is our home. But our home is changing. Breaking news on Kauai tonight. Devastating flooding. Widespread damage. Homes on the verge of collapsing. The world is changing. The largest wildfires in the state of California. Tonight, the rain is over, but the disaster is not. I worry sometimes when I think about my future. What will it be like when I grow up? Would it be like what my parents remember? Climate change. And we know that it doesn't have to be. We can change. Yeah, and I'm video. For the past 10 years, the planet has been leading the way for climate. They think if we can do it in Hawaii, we can do it in but a clean energy future looks like. Lost together, hundreds of students, just like to be a part of the change.
because every day good things are still happening. They are in our classrooms and in our communities. We still have a long way to go. We have a lot of work to do. I'm excited about the new future we are creating. We can help solve our climate crisis, starting in tomorrow, and we'll inspire the world. But we can't do it alone. Will you help? For my future. My, that's powerful. She's gonna be, I think she's going to be an actress someday. <laughs> yes, you started her going. That's great. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Such a good cause. That's beautiful. It's so you know you're you're reaching many generations with what you're doing. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for this because it's so important. It's one thing for we adults uh, to do what we can to turn things around, reverse global warming, reduce the carbon footprint. This is fantastic. But to give young ones the education they need to live a life that's sustainable and renewable from the beginning is uh, uh, invaluable. So just to say that, Hank, it's just, it's important. So thank you for that. Well, I know we're about to do a, uh, a tour. Before we be, I'd just like to, um... I'll lead up to it. So, um, so our, our greatest accomplishment to date is probably the mandate uh, where, the, where the, all of Hawaii needs to get its um, electricity uh, from renewable resources by 2045. Um, we didn't just say it and make a law. We actually followed up. So what, the next phase of that was that we worked on changing the business model of the utility. So they make more money the quicker they switch to renewables. So guess what? Now there are shareholders are on our side. Yeah. So we... Oh, so, so this is a it, law. This is not just your declaration. This is... No, 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 no. The, the, oh. the, first of all, there's a mandate that says no more fossil fuel after 2045. It means anything that's existing at that moment has to be turned off. So it doesn't make any sense for the utility to make any more fossil fuel sure. uh, infrastructure because they're going to have to turn it off. That's the deal. Um, but we followed it up, as I'm saying. They followed, we followed it up by changing the business model of the, of the utility, which used to be they make 10% on top of the price of oil. And, uh, <clears throat> well, now their business model is make more money because oil, when you think of uh, fossil fuel, it costs them 20 cents per kilowatt hour the utility and then they sell it to us for like 32 cents renewable energy wind and solar are down at somewhere around eight cents they should be selling us that for whatever price where they make more money and we pay less for the electricity so that formula has has actually gotten them to come up with an rfp a, a request for proposal mm -hmm. for 800 megawatts of renewable energy last year that's half of hawaii so say that all happens in five years we'll be halfway there so i i think we're going to get there way before 2045 oh good so that's, that's where we are 
Yeah. Well, there's, they're not, not, I'd like to talk a little my, about my personal story. So um, we, got to, we got to a point in Hawaii, we passed a law that helped the solar industry. And so solar installers popped up like crazy. At, at, its, at, our, at the peak, we had like 200 solar installer companies in Hawaii. And the, the, we, went, we originally planned for there to be about, the law would bring maybe 30 megawatts of solar. But in, in two years, we had 300 megawatts of rooftop solar. And then the electric company goes, no, 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 no. We can't handle that much variable energy on the grid. Were they so giving thinking, tax credits to help to induce that? So, yeah, yeah. So we did have a tax rebate for putting solar on your roof, rooftop solar. That was on, on, on our side, on the foundation side. We did that. Yes. Um, but the electric company, basically, because the idea is you should connect your solar panels to your house and your house is connected to the grid. And then during the, when it's, when it's too much energy falling on your roof, you, you basically give sell. it or sell it to the electric company. And right. then at night when there's no, you get it back. So the electric company is your battery. Yes. But then the electric company said, ah, oh, no, 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 we can't handle that much variation because when clouds come or when sure. the wind, so it's they too need- Too intermittent for them. Too intermittent for them. So I started thinking, okay, so what, how do we fix that? And the answer is storage. We have to store the, the energy that, that you know, happens during a sunny day or a windy day. And we have to store it for when, for when the sun is not shining like at night or when the wind's not blowing. So we started thinking about uh, studying energy storage. And the facility behind, behind me here uh, was originally, you know, I, gosh, I watched a movie when I was a kid, Armand Flint, and he had a laboratory, you know, <laughs> like Iron Man has a laboratory, we can make anything. I wanted one of those. So I, 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 I built one. And uh, then this building found a purpose, and it's to study uh, renewable energy. So let me show you what we a little bit about the building. In fact, I should Please. turn the camera backwards. Can I? How do I do that? Stop videos. Bang. There you go. Got it. So this is the energy lab. And uh, the energy lab, Very cool. of course, Look at the those panels are facing. Panels. Yeah, there are 360 of them on, that, on this roof. And so it's the, how can I say? This way is south and that way is north. Mm -hmm. The way this building is designed is it's optimum for the... Um, exactly. You're for maximizing your the solar exposure. Can I, can I just have somebody say hello? Sure. Hello oh there. Hi. A little hey goat. There. Hey there. <laughs> come here. Come here. You know you're Don't in the country. All the solar panels, please. Yeah. <laughs> A little, a little pet goat. <laughs> anyway, 360 right. panels on the roof. Um, I feel like we're have, in Hawaii with you, Hank. It's fantastic. You are. You totally yeah. are. Look, look, at, look at the sky. Oh. Sorry, but uh, we, we, yeah. we got this, you know. Anyway. Yeah. New York so is good, but this is a special. So um, 360 panels, 85 kilowatts of peak, peak power. And we store the energy in batteries. And in fact, that is the, uh, that's a business that I've started and we do it for other people now. now. So let me take you quickly around and show you. And what kind of batteries are you using? What kind of chemistry, et cetera? 
We will get there. Step by step. This is a beautiful walk. So, uh-huh. these are the batteries. So, let me explain to you a little bit about the battery chemistry. I can just do this. Can you still see me? Oh, yeah. So, these are the batteries. So, I went through a period where we tried to use a chemistry called um, vanadium redox. And, and it's a year that I would consider, you could say, I wasted a year. Um, the company was bought by the Chinese. We never heard them from them anymore, and this oh. stuff stopped working. So, I said the next battery is going to be made by a company that's still going to be around 20 years from now. Yes. And a chemistry that I'm not going to be sorry that I have it at my ranch. Okay. So then we went through a search for a new, for a new battery. The chemistry that we landed on is lithium iron phosphate. Now, lithium iron phosphate are all benign chemicals, which means that at the end of life, you can just landfill them, fill these batteries, and they won't damage the environment. And here's an interesting thing. We're at 68 uh, degree, 68% uh, of charge. So it's the, the batteries are charging right now. Yes. I'm touching the, the batteries. Oh. I can barely feel that they're warmer than ambient temperature. So these batteries don't get hot. They don't need a cooling system, which means there's never going to be a thermal runaway. You know, like the, the Samsung batteries or the lithium ion batteries, when you go on a plane, you're not supposed to put them yeah. in your luggage because they might uh, potential spontaneously combust. Explosion, right. This will never happen to this chemistry because it's a benign chemistry. And so we're not spending any energy cooling these batteries and they're non-toxic. I was uh, gonna ask. I mean, yeah, yeah. so. Wow. That's a big is, deal. This is 20 kilowatt hours. So original bank of, of five is, is 100 kilowatt hours. Um, we and how is it how is its efficiency next to lithium ion batteries which are you know typically fairly popular tesla etc so i'm going to flip back so um good okay yeah so um when you think about the tesla batteries that's lithium nickel cobalt manganese cobalt and that chemistry, the, these are lithium ion as well. They're both lithium ion, but it's what's on the other side that's different. Oh, I see. Lithium on one side and, and um, iron phosphate on the other side. That's, why, that's what this is. That's so we're probably, you know, they, they fudge the numbers because they, they don't actually count the, they don't count the uh, energy that it takes to cool the batteries. You're uh, freezing a little bit there. They don't count the energy that it takes to cool the batteries, you said. Come back. <laughs> we don't hear you, Hank. Okay, I'm working on it. I'm there you on. are. See, I could there you are. You're back. All right. Okay. Well, for a moment.
Okay. Yeah, so um, am, am, I, am I coming through? Uh, you just flipped to photo instead of your video. All right. Better? We're coming back. Uh, I, I switched there. to Wi-Fi. There you are. I switched to Wi-Fi. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to stay inside and do the, the rest of the show from inside. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so where were we? Yes. Um, so about the chemistry and the safety. Yes. And oh, the yeah. And so we're, I asked we're about. somewhere between 97, 98% efficient because uh, our batteries don't waste any energy uh, overheating. Yes. And uh, the there's heat no element is removed. So that changes efficiency dramatically. Yeah. Remarkable. Now, how do you go from where you are now to implementing this on, in this case, a statewide basis in order to get the results you're looking for of no fossil fuel by 2045? Yeah, so on, on that side of it, you know, we've in, incentivized the, um, the electric company to make the changes. Right. And now we're in a situation where <clears throat> we're best friends with the electric company. So we're talking to them about hydrogen. We're talking to them about all kinds of things. Like my friend has joined me again. <laughs> what are you doing up here, huh? Looking for something. Can to you imagine? <laughs> He's following me up. Yeah. Followed me up here. So what you're here, doing here. is you help the electrical company. You help the electrical company turn the corner in their mind. Number one about what's desirable, and then about what's possible and what's more profitable. Yeah. So it's not just electric company that we. I'm just adjusting my tripod because it's too tall. Sure. Um, it's we change the mindset of Hawaii. And I think that's the, that's the big deal, is that I see. We, change, we change the way people think about energy in Hawaii. And that is, you know, that, that's where it starts. That's huge. It, it, once you change the minds of the people from it can't be done or it's never going to happen to, of course it's going to happen. Sure. Then everything else becomes easy. And so that is the thing that we... I guess I'm the most proud of. We, we changed people's minds in Hawaii. We changed That's their mind about fantastic. fossil fuel is, is the only way to uh, renewable energy is better and cheaper. Incredible. And are you saying that the electric company with that mindset change of the people, the electric company followed suit and became- They followed suit. In fact, they- the guy who is now in charge of, who's the president of the electric company is totally my friend. Went from, I went from being a, like a pain in the ass to the electric company to being their best friend and helping them figure out how to get to a clean energy future. That's so fantastic. I, and, and that's what I really want to do for the rest of the planet. So today I'm working with, uh, I'm working on with, how you want to say it, we're in negotiation with the Small Island Developing States. That's an organization um, of 57 countries 
57 countries, small island developers. There's mostly small islands South like Pacific. Fiji, uh, South Pacific, Caribbean. Um, yes. And there's 57 of them, which means they get 57 votes in the United Nations. Oh, General Assembly, yes. Yes, yes. And so basically we're working with them. If we can get them all to uh, have a mandate for 100% by 2045. By the way, those votes are valuable. Sure. Countries that want something like you, uh, some country wants a seat on the Security Council. They have to be nice to these 57 countries. And usually that being nice is in the form of foreign aid. Now, in the past, foreign aid has, has been squandered. And, and so even though they give money to some island, somebody on the island gets rich and, and the population doesn't improve. So basically what, we're, what we want to do is instead of giving them money, give them energy. Give them renewable energy. Because once you give it to you, it's the gift that lasts forever. That's right. In the, in the past, uh, many islands have gotten uh, diesel generators. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the diesel generator is it breaks down and nobody knows how to fix it. And then, then when somebody finally does come, it's really expensive. And then the second thing is they can't afford the diesel. And so, I mean. And they're still locked into the fossil fuel uh, cycle. Yes, they're locked in. They're locked in. So. Uh, half of the diesel generators in the Pacific on the islands are not working for those two reasons. And so if they, but if they had solar panels and batteries, that would be a whole different story. And wind, wind is a perfect thing for those areas. And that's also something I mean, I'm sure you've thought about it a thousand times, but when you have intermittent solar because of cloud cover and you have wind, especially in Hawaii, you have an offset and not to mention hydro and geothermal changes the energy game tremendously. But this I know is the kind, here. This so is the kind of a crazy, this is the kind of a crazy thing. You know, we have trade winds in Hawaii, sure. uh, which means the, the wind blows consistently have a fairly strong wind from the same direction. 95% of the time. Yeah. Okay. That's one. Number two, is we're closest to the equator of any state. We're at 20, 21 degrees latitude, which means that we have the best solar of any place in the country. Okay, and then number three, we have, we're, I'm sitting here on, a, on an active volcano. <laughs> active volcano. Be careful. So geothermal, and I, I went to Iceland to visit the, their geothermal plants. Uh -huh. They're amazing. It completely transformed um, Iceland. So we could, and what we, we could power the entire state of Hawaii just in geothermal. That's one. Uh, we could use the geothermal, the excess, by the way, that's baseload. It doesn't go on and off. Once you, once you, it turns on, it stays on. That's the difference. Geothermal is baseload. Uninterrupted. So we could use that to make hydrogen. Because, you know, Say you had uh, a thousand megawatts coming out of the ground, out of the geothermal. At night, we only need, I know, two or 300, for example. So what do you do with the extra energy? And the answer is you make hydrogen. And it, this is the other thing that we're experimenting with here at the ranch, um, because the, the panels, they're built so that they work on a cloudy day. Uh, I didn't mention this, but I'm completely disconnected from the electric company. I'm not connected at all. We're independent. We're energy independent. Beautiful. So 
um, we had a, um, an interruption in our Wi-Fi and I asked what's going on and looked out the window and this whole end of Hawaii, the, the lights were out, but we were still on, of course. So we didn't know there was no this power interruption. This is the power of grid independence you're highlighting yes. here. And yes. As you know, so, I'm working on such a project. So I totally yeah. appreciate all you're saying. So if you're going to be off grid, then you have to build your panels yeah. so that they work on a cloudy day. So you have to overbuild them. And this is in fact what you have to do. If we wanted to get Hawaii to become energy independent with solar, yeah. they would have to build probably twice as much solar as they need on a normal day. Why? Because it has to work on a cloudy day. Yes, indeed. And so what happens on a sunny day, we have way more energy than we can use. Sure. Because it was built for a cloudy day. But can and you so, store it? Well, you, you can store some of it in batteries. Yeah. But a battery is a very expensive way to store energy. And so we could, for example, have a week's worth of battery, but it would cost us a fortune. What we, what we have at the, at the ranch is, is one night's worth of, uh, of battery power. Now, where do, what happens if it's cloudy all day? or a couple of days, and this is our backup. On a sunny day, we use the extra energy to make hydrogen. Okay. And we store the hydrogen. Now hydrogen, you just have, you basically, um, hydrogen, you can turn it back into electricity, or you can, you can use it as fuel for a vehicle. Yes. And that is the whole new thing that's happening, right? I just ordered, in fact, I just ordered a, um, hydrogen pickup truck that just was just announced last week. Uh, a company called Nikola, uh -huh. of course, Nikola <laughs> and Tesla, right? Sure. Duh. They don't leave um, the guy alone. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, he's got a legacy going now. Oh my gosh. He sure does. He continues and, to live, which is yeah, so appropriate. You know. It's so appropriate. Yeah. So that, that's really the the solution for I would say islands. So what, one of the things that we're trying to do here is to boots, bootstrap to get the um, hydrogen economy going. It's kind of a chicken and egg. Yeah. You know, you need hydrogen fueling stations to have vehicles and you need vehicles to, get, to make a hydrogen fueling station. So yeah, right. we're actually looking, we're, we're negotiating with the city and county to buy a fleet of hydrogen buses. That would give us the, the, the then we could go out and raise the money to make hydrogen fueling stations. So we're, th that's the conversation we're in right now. This is but hydrogen, yeah, so, so it, it's, it's pretty interesting because you can ship hydrogen around uh, from place to place. So I was in Singapore and uh, I was on, on the radio. This is the day after I arrived to Singapore. I was there for some conference. They put me on the radio and uh, I was there five minutes early and they said, this is Singapore. No cursing. No cursing. <laughs> so I knew I was in Singapore, okay? No literate, so no they cursing. were asking me the same kind of questions that you were asking me. And then it's, yeah. well, what can we do in Singapore? We have no place to put solar panels or wind turbines. And um, I, I, my answer was, oh. well, I'm, I, I just got her yesterday. So I don't know what your situation is, but I'm guessing you're importing fossil fuel from somewhere and turning that into electricity. Here's what you could do. You could build a wind farm in Australia where there's lots of land, lots of wind and, and places where there are no people. Mm -hmm. 
you could make hydrogen and you could bring that hydrogen back to um, to Singapore. Singapore and then run your economy off of hydrogen. Then you would be clean. So, and I realized that would be a solution for a lot of places. Uh, including Hawaii and the 57 small island nations you're referring to. There you go. Absolutely. Now I hear, I heard this also, um, you know, because Australia is a big exporter of coal to China, to Japan, to a bunch of places. And as people saying, we don't want your coal, they're thinking, what are we going to export? So now they're working on figuring out how to export hydrogen. Right. So uh, building hydrogen, hydrogen tanker ships. There's lots of different ways you can move hydrogen. You could turn it into ammonia, in which case you don't have to pressurize it so much. It, it pretty much stays liquid at, at just below room temperature or at room temperature, I guess. You could turn it into ammonia and then turn it back into hydrogen when you get to the other end of it. I'm not familiar enough with the chemistry and all, but I would like to bring something up, Hank, because I think it's really exemplary also, and it's just part of who you are, and I really want people to kind of grok that, if you will. And that has to do with what happened in Hawaii with the Hurricane Maria and the fact that the infrastructure absolutely went out. And then there were some people, including you, who went in order to assess the damage, assess the situation, and then use this moment to help them convert, transform into renewables. So, yeah, so tell us that story. Yeah, so you're not talking about Hawaii, you're talking about Puerto Rico. I'm sorry. Oh, I said Hawaii. I'm so <laughs> in of Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. Puerto Rico. Sure. Puerto Rico. Sorry, so, yeah. um, yes. So, um, you know, after the um, uh, hurricane, the hur during the hurricane, people are supposed to go to shelters. And the shelters are schools. And so people are supposed to shelter at the schools because they're concrete structures. Yes. And they have kitchen and so on and so forth. Um, they all failed because they were all connected to the grid and there was no electricity. Means the kitchen, no refrigeration, no light. You can't have a shelter that has no light, no refrigeration, no nothing. And so they all failed. And so the Red Cross decided to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And basically they retrofit all the schools in Puerto Rico with solar panels and batteries. And there are batteries. And the reason there are batteries is because it's a benign chemistry. They can't put toxic, flammable batteries well, into in a school. school. Not in a school. It shouldn't be anywhere. But Well, exactly. It shouldn't be anywhere. They, they, so this is my worry. My worry is that in our hurry, um, in our hurry to find a solution, a uh, renewable energy solution, yes. we might be creating another problem. You know, like an, a car with an internal, in, internal combustion engine was a solution to a horse. I was just about to bring that up because yeah, I owned well, that only within the last year about when you, when, fossil fuel being a solution to an environmental problem. It was also a solution to the issue of whale oil and the killing of whales for yeah. that oil, which they used to yeah. light houses. Yeah, oh. yeah. So, so, you know, if you go back in time to the time when they made that decision, it was a pretty good decision because, you know, the amount of impact, uh, you know, a couple of thousand cars or whatever they were using the oil back for back then. That's right. Nature could take care of it. 
That's but today, I mean. with 7 billion people all using internal combustion engines, Out it's too much. And so now we have to go to the next phase. And the next phase is wind, solar, and batteries. And, and we have to be careful not to make batteries or any of that be a problem in the future. Well, you know, and that's why you also know, Hank, that even the construction of solar panels is rather toxic in itself. It's no walk in the park from an environmental, you know, health point of view. So that's something that needs to get seriously upgraded as well. Yeah, I think I, there are many technologies for um, creating solar panels. They're not all created equal. And so if we as consumers, uh, consumers had a little intelligence into what the damage is solar, which, you know, different makers of solar panels, and bought the ones that have less damage, even though they may, might not be the most efficient. That would change the behavior of the solar panel companies. Sure, but it's, you know, it's you're giving the, that education now to kids, which is the kind of education we all need, frankly. I hope you come and educate us here in New York. Well, you are, through this, through this interview, <laughs> so I appreciate that. But no, your point is very well made. And so in Puerto Rico, you brought your, your energy storage, you, you engaged the solar companies, and now they actually have a, more of a renewable uh, energy infrastructure. Well, what, hap what happened is recently there was an earthquake in, in Puerto Rico, and they had to go to the emergency shelters, and they all worked. You know, so, and, and um, well, Puerto Rico has a, there's a lot of problems in Puerto Rico with, um, well, it's a it political problem mostly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the situation in Hawaii and the situation in Puerto Rico uh, with regards to energy is about, is all identical. In other words, we have wires uh, that strung from mountain to mountain, and th that's how we get our electricity. If a hurricane happens, the wire falls down. We're not like next to California where they can just, you know, send the trucks with uh, people to fix it. This is a big project. Well, this so is for part of what resilience. we're addressing also with, you know, uh, something of the project I'm working on. So we don't have to deal with those issues at all because yeah. those high wire lines are largely what has caused the, fi the fires all over California, which has led to massive devastation and lives yeah. yeah and so there's that and so you know the other interesting thing about that is uh because uh pg and &E was held liable for a bunch of those fires and the damage caused right. by the fires now just in case when the strong winds come they turn off the electricity in the wires and so what that means is that their large sections of california go dark without electricity without electricity and if you're in a zone where you're going to uh, maybe have a forest fire, do you really want to have a, a tank of diesel fuel in your I backyard? Don't so. I don't think so. Or exactly. if you're running a medical facility and say you're on dialysis or any kind of medical application, you cannot afford to have an interruption in electricity. It's literally life-threatening. Well, that's what I'm saying. They, they use, they use um, uh, diesel generators uh, traditionally for that situation. And when I went to Puerto Rico, I saw so many diesel generators. They stink, they're noisy, and they're dangerous. And they're not so efficient I'm, at all, yeah, by and large. So, 
so and then like yeah. of course if there's an emergency then who gets the diesel the people with the most money or the people with the most control and so on and so forth so exactly people need to be energy independent so i've become energy independent here at the ranch i have a home in honolulu we're off grid as well they, they the electric company told me no you can't have solar panels on your roof I said, what do you mean your neighborhood is full it's like what does that mean so it's like well there's we can only take 15 percent penetration of solar in, in any neighborhood that's what they, they couldn't say. they couldn't handle it yes yeah, okay well bye bye so um fourth of july six years ago i declared energy independence that's the day that i disconnected from the electric company and became energy independent hey. and we celebrate it we celebrate um energy independence day every fourth of july <laughs> i love it i love it yeah there's another except for this year because of covid we didn't have the big celebration but it's this year it would have been six years well it was Next six year years it'll be a double celebration but yeah. you know there's another uh important area that is happening as a result of global warming uh across the world of course that means that everything is getting hotter and hotter and the conversion to uh, renewables is not as fast as we'd like so we need to have solutions across the board things like air conditioning and refrigeration are becoming all the more important and popular because more and more places are too hot to live in they're becoming threatened literally so i know that you are working on a project or connected to one that addresses the issue of uh that's on our side no worries yes i know <laughs> i don't have a refrigeration landline <laughs> yeah we still have them here yeah so refrigeration and um yeah this is a whole a whole nother subject um yeah, which is really important briefly just to hear what your thoughts are yeah so um i'm i'm looking into a technology that makes refrigeration more efficient so there is a new and i haven't vetted this yet so i'm waiting for the samples to it this is what i do at the ranch somebody comes and tells me oh i've got this great new idea this great new product and i said that that's going to help the world i said okay send it to me we'll test it and then then I'll let you know if I'm interested. So that's where I am with this stuff. Yeah. But if it pans out, we're talking about 26 to 30% reduction in energy uh, needed for refrigeration and, um, refri and air conditioning. Now, I'm on the big island of Hawaii. Our total um, grid size is about 200 megawatts. 40%, 40% of all electricity on the big island goes to cool hotels. 40%. So that's 80, meg 80 megawatts. Yeah, 80 megawatts. I mean, if, if you could take that 80 megawatts and, and take off 30%, oh, that's huge. It's huge. Imagine. So, yeah, refrigeration. Please let me know what comes of those tests. I'm connected to a wonderful gentleman also who I've known for some years who are working on that project. And uh, mm. I would love to see good good things happen good things yes as a result well i love what you're doing here with the energy lab hank and what you're doing with the 2045 commitment what last words would you like to share with our audience i mean you're doing so much we're going to have to have you on again but this has been a good 
introduction for a lot of people to the world of Hank Rogers? So I got started um, with renewable energy and uh, trying to end the use of uh, carbon-based fuel. That's where I started. Yes. And I travel around the world, talk to people and say, you know what? We need to work together. What should we do? You know, what are the things that need to get done? And OMG, there are so many different things that need to get done. Plastic in the ocean, uh, landfill, um, sewage being dumped into rivers and, and so on and so on. All these things. By the way, if we get to 10 billion people by 2050 and we continue living that way, we're going to be drowning in something. And, and energy is only one part of the puzzle. So Correct. I kind of broaden the scope of what I'm trying to achieve. Now I'm trying to create a world where humanity and nature live in harmony. Full stop. You know, we have at the United Nations, we have the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, and they end in 2030. So we're not in a position to go sustainable. We have to clean up first, then become sustainable. So I'd like the next 15, meaning the 15, 2030 to 2045, the 15 years, mm -hmm. be the regenerative development goals, oh. where we regenerate nature, we, we, we take back all the garbage, we take the carbon dioxide out of the air. Waste to energy. All that, all that. Zero and so basically we have to fix everything. And I, I think we have to fix every, everything by 2045. So it's not just... Re, uh, you know, 100% renewable energy. energy it's right. it's plastic in the ocean. It's making sure that we still have fish because we're overfishing. Um, that we haven't cut down the Amazon rainforest. I mean, there's so many things that are happening that need to be fixed. They all need to be fixed, and I want them all fixed by 2045. <laughs> well, so you and me both, brother. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've been at this for a long time as well. So there you go. Um, I know I really very much appreciate it. I want to ask you: Were you at all inclined? when you were doing the video gaming business toward a mindset of the environment and caretaking and stewardship? Or is that something that really happened in the ambulance, so to speak, and reading the newspaper clip about? Uh, so I, I come from the game business and, yeah. you know, and, and there, there are so many violent, destructive games out there and I, I think that basically it, it, it gives young people a violent, destructive mindset. Like that is how you solve your problem. Correct. You know, and uh, so I, I, well, first of all, I never published or worked on a game that I didn't want my children to play. And that was the, the bottom line. I mean, would you like your children to spend their time, you know, killing people or would you like them to do... I don't know, have an adventure in a fairy tale. You know, come on. Or a voyage you know, under the sea. Would, 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 you read, would you read your four-year-old uh, um, Cinderella or uh, Saving Private Ryan? <laughs> it's like, exactly. really? Oh. It's like, come on. That's right. Use a little common sense here. And, and so we need a little parental common sense and, and a little common sense in the game business because we're... I, I feel like, uh, um, by and large, we've, we've been polluting people's minds. 
And that is not what I, that's not what it's for. You, you can do good things with it and you can do bad things. So Absolutely. why not do good things? Yeah. You can so. see it that way. But I was wondering if, you know, we, you said you're from the gaming business. No, you're really actually from nature herself our real mother earth. That's where you're really from. So I was just wondering, Hank, if you felt any type of inclination before that moment of awakening, or that moment was really like a thunderbolt that changed things for future. Okay, so, so if you go back to when I was living in Hawaii the first time and surfing and diving and yeah. fell in love with the ocean, yeah. my love for nature, you know, basically came from there yeah and uh so it was always there and i think it's always there for anybody who's ever been to into nature yes no the problem is we go back to our, our 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 condominium and we forget about nature we get disconnected again yes. so yes i cared but i didn't do anything about it or i didn't do enough about it and that's really the difference that we need to make in the world today is that Everybody needs to care a little bit and do a little bit more than they're doing now. You know, some people don't even understand that they're destroying nature. Uh, and, and daily things. So I'm going to gamify this, by the way. I'm a game designer. So I'm going I'm to I'm turn this into a big game where you get points by doing actions that help nature. Oh, that's great. That's so great. I'm working on this right now. That's great. I don't know if you're familiar with the compassion game but a dear friend of mine has come up with that as a game, not on, you know, in a device, but rather in cities where people get points, like merits for doing things that help other people. But it's along yeah. a similar kind of line, but this one for the environment. So good, good, excellent. I applaud your thinking all the way around as well as your actions. So. Thank you. Hank Rogers, what a pleasure to have you on today and talk about all this. It's, it's deep, it's heartfelt, it's meaningful, and it's world-changing. So uh, love to have you back on another time to pick up where we left off. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. This is, it. This is what we do in Hawaii. Aloha. Okay. Shaka. Aloha. This way. Mahalo. Thumb, thumb and pinky. You've got an extra finger up there. There you go. That's it. <laughs> I've been there. I've been on a surfboard. Aloha. Aloha. All right. Take Aloha. care. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Mitchell J. Raven. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Very special to learn about what Hank Rogers is doing and what's going on in the world. People are doing extraordinary things and stepping up to the plate at this extraordinary moment in time in history on so many levels. So I wanna just invite you all to be part of the solution, become part of A Better World's family, community. Go to our website, www.abetterworld.tv, sign up, get our newsletter. We're on uh, television every Monday evening and we're on radio every week. So thanks again for joining. Please share your thoughts with us. Love hearing from you. And I look forward to seeing you all next week.